four. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Yay, we can count. <laughs> level three numeracy. <laughs> I've taught level two numeracy. <laughs> I'm really shockingly bad at it. Ready? Yep. <laughs> Listeners, and welcome to the Unions 21 podcast with me, Simon Zappa. And me, Becky Wright. And we're coming to you from Manchester. Yay! The TUC 150 in Manchester. And it's raining. It's raining. <laughs> Manchester, you never disappoint. I love it. And I also love the fact that I did check the weather report before we left and I didn't bring an umbrella. You didn't bring an umbrella to Manchester. <laughs> I mean, that's a rookie error. I've been here so many times. <laughs> but, I, I, but I tell you, I, it, it's good. I like this. This is a Good fit for Congress, I think. The, do you know what? This has been my favourite Congress for quite a few years. Uh, we've been in Brighton for a while, haven't we? We have. And Manchester just feels like the sort of city and the sort of place that we should all be in to not only celebrate the birth of the TUC, because of course this Manchester is where the TUC was born, but it, it just kind of feels right as a venue as a city to for us to kind of be going to and yeah, that's not to disparage brighton it just feels kind of right it seems it seems that congress is the right size for for Matt, for the venue and the venue is kind of the right dimensions and shape for feels really buzzy yeah it, it, it does and, and i mean okay we, we skit about the rain uh, but but actually it's a really it's a positive atmosphere here really yeah, we we've had a really nice couple of days uh, going in to watch some of the debates. We've been having our fringes taking place, um, just seeing people. It's been really good to see people. Like I don't feel like I've sort of been going, oh, I'll see you at ca- in the cafe, and somebody's waiting in one massive corner over in one, and you're waiting at the other. It's It's been really good, yeah, really lovely. So, I mean, more from our fringes later in this, this, this podcast, but the main themes, I think, have been very strong from Congress, haven't they? I mean, we, the, the media people at the TC have done a really good job getting the headlines, setting the agenda, four-day week, people's vote if we need it, and and all the stuff about the quality of work. Yeah, yeah. No, it's And it's been a really positive agenda-setting Congress, I think, which is how it should be going into the next 150 years. Indeed. And, and talking of looking to the future, later on in this podcast, we're going to be talking to the TUC's head of campaigns, Antonia Bantz, about the new things that she and they are are doing that have been launched at Congress this year. I won't I won't issue a spoiler no, no now. S- no Listen. spoils, please. Uh, but before before that, we were delighted to spend a bit of time with Paddy Lillis, the newly not newly elected General Secretary of our school, but he's come into office fairly recently. The newly come into office. N- office that d- that General doesn't Secretary. really trip off the tongue. <laughs> no, does it, it doesn't. Newly come into office. No, but Paddy is the newest General Secretary on the block. In, indeed, and uh, and his ideas and his experience. And the Usdor approach. Usdor recruit ninety thousand people a year. Incredible. That's that's spoiling it. Simon. Oh, oh, sorry. Forget <laughs> I said that. <laughs> but anyway, we we had a really good chat with him, and and here he is, Paddy Lillis, General Secretary of Usdor. Thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. And I mean, Usdor faces a huge challenge. I imagine in the sense that the retail sector is undergoing huge turmoil and and, and change. I mean, what's What's the union's strategy for keeping pace with that change? 
Well, there's a number of issues. Um, you've quite right this point out. The retail sector over the last 10, 15 years has tr changed beyond anybody's imagination. Mm. We see the crisis in the high street at the moment. Yep. Um, mm. We're seeing empl employers uh, going to the wall, getting some new receiverships, some merging. We've saw, I think so far this year, 50,000 jobs have been lost in the high Gosh. street. Wow. Um, and our strategy is, is clear. Firstly, we want to work with the employers. But there has to be a more joined up approach between the employers and uh, local authorities and the, and the trade unions in terms of looking at what can we do to ensure the survival of the high street. Yeah. There's a number of things. If, I mean, the first, <laughs> we've got you know, bricks and mortar versus um, the, the Amazons of this world. Uh, and there's the first challenge. Uh, they're offshoring taxes and not paying the taxes that we think is appropriate yeah. uh, to the country, where the high street retailers are having an unfair, uh, unfairly disadvantage in terms of their their rates, business rates are high, uh, rents are high for the properties. Mm. You have the audit problem in terms of car parking, uh, high, mm. high, high rates, so people don't want to go in and park in town centre. So mm. there's lots of things can be done to make the... The, the retailers more profitable and, and make shopping in town centres more attractive. Yeah. Uh, but it has to be a joined up approach and in the minute there isn't that strategy there. Now we have recently uh, Jack Barry, the, the, the High Streets Minister, Tory High Streets Minister, has set up um, a panel, a High Street panel of experts to look at the High Street going forward, trying to revitalise it, looking for solutions. Uh, sadly, the, the they overlooked Osdor. I was going to say, well, you, did you get did you get a shining uh, uh, envelope oh, in the post? I mean, absolutely you, not. Um, it's crazy. And I've written to him and said, "Is this just been an oversight? A bit tongue in cheek." <laughs> um, on the basis of we have been dealing with retail uh, for basically over a century, yeah. we have more expertise. Uh, we have seen more companies close and go into receivership and administration. We've seen mergers. We've seen the competitions uh, commission uh, authority. Sorry. So our voice needs to be heard now. Yeah. But he hasn't given us a reply yet, which is a bit disappointing. So he's got a high street uh, a sort of gurus looking at this here who are looking at it from one, one perspective. Yeah. yeah. Because even though the high street's in crisis and there's 50,000 jobs that's been lost, there's lots of other jobs, a lot of restructuring yeah. uh, where people's in less hours. Um, mm. They're not able to, to meet the needs of their, their families in terms of income. Yeah. They have insecurity. Yeah. Uh, they can't get loans. Um, they, they, they can't go to normal banks because of the insecure employment status they have. That's all part and parcel of a whole strategy in retail, looking at the employees as, as well as the bricks and mortar and the business rates and the car parking charges and all of that. And that's why we need to be all sitting around the table for that mm. solution. Because if I think to my hometown, most people have like a retail job somewhere, you know, or in their family. I, I started off on a retail job. You know, it's it's a f part of our fabric. And if there's no inclusion of the workforce in those debates... Well, it's one of, it's one of the mm. big drivers of the economy. There's over yeah. three million... Three million people works in retail. Yeah, that's what's huge. Uh, yeah. it's in every community. And as I said earlier, in terms of the crisis in retail, city centres are communal areas as well. Yes, yeah. indeed. Win. Uh, mm. It's not just the, sh the shopping; it's the sort of the day out type experience yeah, as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So as the community, that that sort of pull as well with it. Uh, but you're right. Three three million three million plus people employed in retail. It's a driving force in the economy. And that's again why it needs to be taken more seriously. I think sadly over, over many years, retail is seen as a, a job you do, to something that their real job comes up. 
yeah. it wasn't seen as a, a, a proper job. Yeah. And what we have tried to do over the years as, as a trade union is show the importance of, of, of the sector. Yeah. And that's mm. why we need to be involved with Jack Barry and, and, and any panel that's going to look at solutions to the high street going forward. I mean, with the other big challenge is, is automation. Yeah. Automation, again, uh, the forecasts are there's going to be up, up to 5 million jobs going to be displaced through automation in over the next 10 years. We want to be part of that, that discussion. We're not Luddites. We're not saying we're going to stop it. Yeah, yeah. But uh, there's, there's issues around automation where the jobs that are, the jobs that are going um, and the, jobs, the new jobs of the future, the people who are losing their jobs have the skill set to take the new jobs of the future. Future-proofing. Yeah. So there, yeah. has to be, there has to be some balancing of this in terms of where money goes. Our view would be trying to look at where them funds are for the apprenticeship levies, the lifelong learning where trade unions have got an expertise, and then looking and working with employers to upskill people for the jobs of the future. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. start planning for it now and looking at how you upskill them. It's not going to fix every, everything, but it's a start. Yeah. Joined up thinking, joined up working. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, and I understand Asdor's just launched a campaign to address the, the sort of increasing precar- increasingly precarious nature of working in the retail sector. Yeah, well, we've, we've got policy around a £10 uh, minimum. And again, the retail sector, they're traditionally paid the minimum wage, the national minimum mm. wage, we're saying it should be a minimum of £10. That's one part of it. The second part is uh, a 16-hour, a minimum 16-hour contract. You can't fall below a 16-hour contract unless the employee requests that, not the employer imposing it. Yeah. Mm. Because we've, again, coming back, so many so many individuals are on, on 78, 9-hour type contracts. Uh, they're doing other... Uh, split jobs they're working for different companies yeah. so it could be someone could be working three jobs just to get third 35 or 40 yeah. hours we're saying there should be a minimum of 16 unless an individual asks why do you say the individual asks you can have some individuals who really just want to work a sunday six hours on a sunday because of their family commitments and mm. it suits them mm. yeah mm. we don't want to be taking that right away from people yeah but it has to be their choice and it has to be done with the the consent or working with the, the, their trade union so there's no forced it's not been enforced for people. It's been put in cajoled into it. So that's one part of the 16 hours. The other part is those individuals who are working. And you know, an example is zero hours contracts. We did 800, 900,000 jobs. Nearly a million jobs are zero hours contracts in this country. We're, we haven't got a massive problem with it. Um, but the average hours for a person on, uh, on, on a zero hours contract is 25 hours. Wow. That's, near that's, the, that's, well, the, av- that's yeah. the average. That's the average. That's the average hours of the yeah. nine hundred thousand that's on zero hours contract. If the employers know the hours are going to be worked, there's no well, ethical or rational reason for not giving someone a contract to match those hours. And that's why we are saying that part of our campaign is that you have a contract of the for the hours that you work. Yeah. Uh, doesn't be called sort of zero hours contract. It's a contract for the hours that you work. Uh, and again, we're going to continue to push that. Because those are in zero hours contracts at the minute. Again, it comes back to how do you, I mean, one, it's not good for the economy because yeah. you get individuals who can't get a mortgage, yeah. Yeah. can't yeah. get a loan. Yeah. You know, because the first thing you're asking is, is your ability to pay. Well, yeah. well, well, what's your wages? Uh, yeah. What's your forecast going for? Well, I don't really have any hours. I don't know when I'm going to call down the work. Yeah. I've worked like the last three months, but sometimes eight hours, sometimes six hours. You're not exactly a great bet uh, for, for, for yeah. a loan or yeah. a mortgage. Yeah. So it's unsettling. Uh, it's, it's wrong. Yeah. morally wrong and it doesn't help the economy long term no and that's the problem it's it's really it's a really short-termists very much so 
and it's 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 geared it's geared to the employers and i mean there's good employers out there who want to do the right thing and it sees individual employers who are exploiting around zero hours contracts or exploiting low hours contracts or split shifts who actually uh, drive the good employers out because it's a very short-term look at uh, an economy that could be could be a, a, a sector that could be a lot better. Yeah. Uh, so that settled terms and conditions, proper pay, you know, yeah. proper hours, uh, and that that will help long term. Yeah. But at the minute, it's still very much a, a, a sort of a hard and fire type sort of uh, culture. The sheer kind of effort it takes for you guys as a union to stand still in terms of your membership, let alone kind of break through. I think kind of makes some unions go. Well, I really don't know how we would. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I can't get it. my mind around the scale and the nature of the operations that enables you and your union to recruit ninety thousand people last year. It's, I mean, it's bigger than most most unions that is numerically. Than <laughs> I mean, <laughs> what's the secret? <laughs> there's a there's a number of things. Firstly, we know it's a retail sector, and we've got to work at it. Uh, it's not like the industrial, the sort of the heavy industrial side where people join, you know, and they come back to the sort of. There's the big conveners and stuff. We've yeah. got to go in and physically talk to people. That's the first thing. So that's resource hungry in terms of people. Our key first is our reps, our, our, our shop stewards, our yeah. health and safety reps, and our reps, making sure they get a good experience when they volunteer to come on board as an activist, making sure they get a really good experience at the start. So they get the train, they get their, their eight days training, which is three, three, and two mm-hmm. over a period of the first 12 months uh, to get them comfortable and get them confident and give them the knowledge. They want to learn more. Mm. That's the first thing. We take them through how, how, how to recruit and, and organize uh, and do all of that. So that's one side. And that if you invest in them, then it'll pay its dividends yeah. in terms of that's the first thing. And it's against the old knowledge. If you have a workplace and you've got lay reps in there who are competent and skilled, they'll recruit and organize. They're the best ambassadors, yes. aren't they? Yeah. They, of course, it's much more difficult in retail because the convenience se- sector, which is the, you know, the, the ex- Tesco Express, is the yeah. co-op mm. sector. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's many, many thousands of them stores, so it's not always easy to get a shop steward or a representative in them. So you, we kind of cluster reps in, and yep. we get agreements with employers where one rep can cover four or five stores in a locality yeah. uh, and do that. So that helps there, and that's still very much a development stage with us there. We also have an academy, uh, which was set up in 2003, so the 16th going into the 17th year. Uh, that's been hugely successful. Uh, that has delivered beyond our awareness expectations. We set it up with 15 people in 2003, and this year we've had 120. Wow. And they're mm. in succumbing for six months with us, full six months to come out of their employers. Yeah. So they get a development opportunity, and they get accreditation um, through the, the work they do in the classroom on, on TUC organising. Yeah. And I mean, out of our 105 full-time officers as organising officers, I think it's nearly 95 or 96 of them come through our academy. So we're developing our full-time officers of the future as well. And not only that, most other unions have taken them. Um, Unison's taken 11. GMB's got about six. Community's got one or two. So I know we're training them. Yeah, yeah. And they're going elsewhere. We don't have all the jobs. I I like that, though, as well, that you've tracked where they've gone and what (coughs) unions they're in, and they're part of that kind of framework. I've actually moderated some folders for the uh, Usdor Academy. And I always used to really love it because I felt like people tried hard. They saw this as an opportunity. They saw this as a kind of a a next step for them, their families. You, You 
it always made me kind of quite proud as a trade unionist to get those sort of folders well, and moderate them. Yeah, that's a good story. It is a, it yeah. is a great story. So we'll have a, our Academy 1. And then we developed five years after an Academy 2, which is a, a higher level. Uh, so there's more classroom work. And these were getting ready, people ready for the jobs of the future in the trade union movement. And that's been a huge success as well. We're launching uh, in December this year a lay tutor academy. So again, mm. Mm. our academy at the minute is directed at full-time officers and, and, and lay officials. The lay tutors more in the training mm. uh, right. and, and classroom. And again, with the cuts to education, trade union education by the yeah. Tories, um, we need to find another way around of being able to deliver training. So we're going to train our own people up to be lay tutors, but taking them on a, a development to become teachers yes so we're wow. going to give them the quite take them through the qualifications to be teachers the risk of that is we can't get training jobs for them to go to some other union or they go into schools yes I mean, we're going to give them a proper teaching qualification so that's just been uh, that's going to be rolled out in december we've got everything sorted for that now but the the, the migration of 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 people through the osdor academy into the teaching prof- profession as opposed to the train train side of it that's investment in the community i mean you, you yep. i've heard it expressed that actually if unions took a more community based ap- approach t- to that sort of thing yep. everyone would be better off so it's, it's fascinating to see and hear how that that's happening so in terms of them um, in terms of the union in general there's our academy there we've got our um, late shooter uh, program starting at the end of the year we're also doing a political a political activist uh, campaign as well and we're taking those individuals who don't want to be union full-time officers and don't want to be trainers, but have an interest in being councillors or MPs of the future. Yeah. So we want to take and upskill them in terms of what that looks like, give them the support and the confidence yeah. to be community councillors or uh, local authority councillors. This is all, that's going to be launched in February. Yeah. So yeah. again, that's going to be, and these are all things about empowering lay reps, people who thought they couldn't they couldn't do much, they're just in the job they're in. Yeah. Um, so we're really pleased about that and uh, uh, saying that. But all of these sort of things is at the heart of the reps themselves. And we have grown by over 100,000 in the last 12 years. Um, I say it just hasn't been by accident. It's because we've put the yeah. time and resource yeah. in. Yeah. We've made it clear that organising is, uh, yes, it's about recruitment, but it's much more than recruitment. Yeah. It's about connecting with people and making them understand what the trade the trade union movement's about. You know, again, from our 435,000 members, 80,000 of their members are under the age of 27. We have more young members in our union than Unison, and Unison's three times bigger than us, and that's lost. So there's 80,000 young people as actually members of ours, and on top of that, 750 of them, roughly, are shop stewards. So we have a really good base to work with for young people coming forward. Again, part of my vision for the future is is really engaging with our our regions and saying... When I send a circular out, I don't want it looked at and then forward it on. I want you to actually look on how can you make that happen? How can you go and, and engage with these young people yeah. to get yeah. on the yes. youth committees, yeah. to come to your regional conferences? You made a good comment. Last year, uh, at the end of last year, we had recruited 94,000 uh, new members, yeah. our highest in our history. Not even the closed shop to hit them numbers. Uh, and yet we had the highest new membership count last year. And the good news is, as of this morning, we're actually above the same period last year, so we're heading for another. My goodness, that's tremendous. Year, which is which is tremendous, yeah. and you know, a credit to our officers and our lay reps out there. They're doing it, but the strategy and and and, and sort of has uh, been there for a number of years, and we've been yeah. building on it. Yeah. And people get it. So there's a lot of unions uh, don't see recruitment as part of their job. Yeah. Um, I've had it said in the past. Well, 
you know where our office is and they want to join. It's a different world now. Yeah. yeah. It's not where we were sort of 30, 40, 50 years ago where yeah. your, 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 your father, your mother, your grandfather yep. were trade unionists and were brought up in that sort of community. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I, I would say where Thatcher was successful for her type of people yeah. was to individualize society. Mm-hmm. And we've got to bring that community, that collectiveness Absolutely. back to people. And that's where I think the trade union plays a really, really good part. Showing the positive side of trade unionism. You know, not ju- it's not just about sort of pay, which is important. It's all the other aspects of it, uh, yeah. that community. So training people up, giving them opportunities, uh, giving them education opportunities that they thought well, would, would pass them by. So yeah. I'm quite excited about, about yeah. the future. I think uh, we've got a great organisation, great people working for it. Uh, there's lots more to do. There's gaps, I know. Uh, I'm going to close them going forward. But I've met with all the teams, uh, all our senior people. They're all on board. Uh, I want to open us up, be a bit more transparent than we've been possibly in the past. And, and you know, so far we're going well this year. Brilliant. That's great. All power to your elbow. <laughs> all power to you. That's great. Paddy. Hey. Thank you very much. You talk most Good. time. Next year we'll see what we <laughs> do. <laughs> We'll, we'll put a date in the diary. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Well, thanks yeah. very much for chatting with us, Paddy. I really, I, I feel quite optimistic. I've managed Likewise. to make everybody depressed in our fringe, and so it's kind of quite nice oh, to I mean, uh, I, to be I think optimistic. If you talk to people, people, uh, you see, I, I will say to our officials and our, and our reps when I go and meet with them to join a trade union. I mean, you, if you get if you engage with people, you can yeah. actually talk to them. They'll join. Yeah. Yes, this yeah. is a good message. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what I found really interesting talking to Paddy Simon, I don't know whether you, how you sort of feel about it, but the idea of the churn that they have in retail and how the union copes with that. And then the thing that really put the goosebumps like on my sort of arms was when he said the number of young people they have as members. And, like, and young reps. And young reps as well. As well. Yeah. No, it was, I mean, as you say, it's it's quite a thing to... To internalise the churn in the industry in which you organise in the way us us have, and to be able to ride that wave, yeah, um, yeah, and 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 that number, but, the, but really the number of young people, the number of young reps is, I mean, it, as you said, you know, very optimistic. I mean, yeah. that, that, I mean, not optimistic in the sense that it's exaggerated, but it's it's that's that shines a bright light for the for the future. Yeah, it does give me hope that we can do things around young workers. And kind of on to that, this Congress has been, you've seen the launch of the TC's now uh, Get Work Smart app. And um, we spoke with Antonia Bantz, who's the head of communications, about what that is and how that might transform the way young people look at unions. Uh, Well, listeners, now Becky and I have the great pleasure of being with Antonia Bantz, head of campaigns for the TUC. You've cut yourself adrift from the hell of Congress just to speak to us. Thank you very much indeed. Oh, you're very welcome. It's a really nice break from the chaos of Congress. But, I mean, you, you've had some big projects, or a particularly big project to launch at Congress this year. I mean, yeah. can you tell our audience about it? So lots of the people who were at Congress uh, may have seen that yesterday we had a special feature about young workers. Now, that builds on uh, two special features in the past two years at Congress reflecting the fact that about two years ago, Congress decided that our priority would be organising young workers. And you saw that reflected again in a motion that we passed yesterday here at Congress, uh, making 2019 the year of young workers in the trade union movement. Now, 
over the past two years, uh, what we did at the TUC is we embarked on a programme, 18 months of research in depth into the lives of young workers in the UK. Not all young workers, but young workers on low to median incomes, particularly in the private sector, um, who weren't in full-time education, between about 21 to 30. Um, and so over the last 18 months, what we've been doing is using that research to try to find a way to get those young workers into collective bargaining, into collective organising and into trade unions. So we used the research. It wasn't the sort of research that gets written up in a policy report, although we have written it up and you can yeah. find the reports on our website. Yeah. It's a sort of research that's intended to provoke an actual practical yeah. action yeah. we so need action well, well we do need action and actually i was going to come in to say what i quite like about reading it is that it feels very kind of practice orientated as opposed to kind of like and i say this with a lot of respect to all of our policy listeners as somebody who is bad, well, bad is a bit action orientated it doesn't feel like it's being written for a policy it does feel like it's being written for an outcome which i i like i like a lot well and thank you because that that's where i'm coming from on this as well i think in in the movement we can talk a lot about the problems we have uh, organizing young workers but i i think mm -hmm. we need to really really focus on the actions that we can take to get more young workers into the movement and so we embarked on an innovation process. Um, alongside young workers, we spoke to hundreds of young workers and we did lots of WhatsApp diaries where they were telling us moment by moment what was going on in their lives, in their workplaces and responding to us. We did lots of workshops with union activists and union staff as well, lots of interviews with general secretaries and so forth. What came up at the end of it was that there, there, there are four core barriers to collective organising for this group of young workers. The first is that young people, uh, young workers in this group, don't know what unions are. And I just want to stop you on that one, because what I love is, when I first started as a union organiser, um, 18 odd years ago, the, f the thing we were taught was, when you go into workplaces and into new workplaces where there isn't a union, people are going to be hostile. And there's an element of which that conversation has kind of continued and not recognised the fact that actually, no, we've, we've moved from hostile into unknown slash indifference. Yeah, exactly that. I mean, these young workers, they're not in unions, but their mums and dads weren't in unions either. Yeah. So we're sort of two generations past people really knowing what unions meant in their everyday life. And you push them a little bit. Well, come on, you know what a union is. Um, mm. And they say, oh, isn't that about rights at work, about helping working people? You're like, yes. But why aren't you in a union? They say to us, well, unions are for other people. They're for people who are older people in the public sector, they're mm. for people who've sorted out what their career is going to be. And that's not me, not yet. So that was the first barrier. So the second barrier is that these young workers, they don't realise that what they experience at work isn't acceptable treatment. So I will never forget talking to a young worker um, who worked in a mobile phone franchise uh, somewhere in the north of England. I'm not going to name the franchise or the city. And she said, every day I have to turn up at work 15 minutes before my shift starts for a briefing. And we said, are you paid for that time? And she said, oh, no. But they get really, really cross. They, they make it clear that you have to be there for this briefing 15 minutes in advance. This young woman worked five days a week. Now, the union organiser in me, sitting listening to her, knew that that was a national minimum wage violation. She had absolutely no idea. And those stories were really, they kept coming through all the time. So they don't know that work is rubbish. They just think it's the way work is. We asked them, have you ever tried to change anything in your workplace? 
and they say things like, well, if I stood up, no one would support me, nothing would change, no one would listen. So they think trying to change things is futile. And then the final barrier to trade unionism, obviously we're a collective movement, so we want people to get together with their colleagues, think about joining a union mm. and try and change things in their workplace. For these young workers, though, we ask them about getting together with their colleagues and you could really see all the things that we say about the atomization of the workplace really coming out in their responses. They said, I don't think I could trust anybody at work. They'd stab me in, my, in the back if I tried to uh, speak up. I wouldn't have their support. You could really hear all of that stuff that we talk about, about competition for the best shifts, being really at the beck and call of managers on zero hours contracts and so forth. Four barriers to collective organising. So we also were trying to find out what these young workers wanted from life and where we could find hooks that the trade union movement could jump on to get into their lives. Now, I'm not talking about marketing hooks. This isn't about better expressing the offer that we've got. What we wanted to build was a new offer that was designed around these young workers. It became really clear that these young workers want more. They want more for themselves. They want more for their families. They want uh, to get on in life, but they don't know how to do that. There's nobody in their corner. Young workers said to us, if I was at school, there'd be a career service or a university. Well, I mean, the, the whole problem, sorry to cut across you, is, is it's systematic disempowerment because the career service has been dismantled. And if you talk to school-aged uh, kids, you know, 15, 16-year-olds, yeah, they feel even more disempowered than the workers you've met and talked to and have, have described. Well, exactly that. Uh, but they felt, these young workers, most of whom hadn't been to university, felt like there wasn't anyone in their corner helping them work out how to get on in life. And that sort of sparked a thought for us. I mean, we're the trade union movement. We've helped people get back into learning since the beginnings of our movement. We've, mm. We still help people learn to read and write, get basic ID, IT skills every year hundreds of thousands of people through the trade union movement access learning we've always been a platform for working class people to rise from and we felt that that was an area where we could really pique the interest of this group of young workers start to bring them towards trade unionism use that engagement with them to start to break down the barriers to collective bargaining and then see if it was possible to offer union membership in such a way that it met the needs they'd identified and felt like it was realistic and workable for them. So that's where WorkSmart comes in. So we decided to build what is a sort of progression career coaching app for young workers. Now, I should be really, really clear. Um, it's really important that it is a good career progression, career coaching app for young workers. But we're the trade union movement. And in addition to it being about career coaching and progression, it is about why you should join a union. Well, you have to go to where people are, not where you want them to be if you're, if you're organising them, any age group, any demographic. And, and the research, I know, has shown that's, that's what pushes the button for this key demographic. So, of course, it's got to, you know, there's no point coming up with something wonderful if actually the, the packaging turns people off. Well, that, and that's exactly right, Simon. Mm. So, you know, it doesn't look very trade union when you click on getworksmart.org.uk. Um, or you click on the app, which is just in development at the moment, but everyone will be able to see soon. Um, Available from all good app places <laughs> soon, <laughs> yes. Um, it doesn't look very trade union, but it absolutely works for the young workers who are our target audience. And the packages within it are things like build your confidence at work, have difficult conversations with your colleagues, um, and one that we're developing at the moment, which is knowing your rights at work. Those sorts of packages, the plan is that these young workers, they come to the app, 
they get involved in the first interaction, which is a quiz mm. uh, and sort of places them in a group um, that tells them, that feeds back to them, you told us this, you told us this, therefore we would recommend, why don't you try this? Why don't you try this? Build your confidence at work. You know, or this package about your rights at work or this package about finding the right courses or the right skills development opportunities for you. So first interaction is a quiz. We get their details. It's all bite-sized and we're going to be reminding them to come back to us, to keep engaging with them, gathering information about who they are, where they work, yeah. all the way through this process. Yeah. The, sorry to... In, uh, th that's what I, I'm really intrigued about. So it, two things. I love the fact that at the 150th birthday of the TUC, we're essentially launching something which is so rooted in what we've done before, but we imagined it in another way. And, you know, as a teacher and as somebody who's been involved in the trade union education sector for such a long time, I mean, I, I mean, it's like, I love a bit of that kind of stuff. But the other thing, just think about the conversations we've had today with colleagues is around that data usage. And, like mark being able to kind of mark where people go what they're interested in at what point they maybe go to that know your rights at work bit and how that all interacts that will give some really useful data for unions who want to organize in workplaces won't it i mean it'll be really crucial i think well this this is this is the plan so we've built everything so that we're recording what what uh, the young workers find interesting what they click on what they don't click on Everything has the ability to rate every feature, to feedback on every feature. Mm. And we also have all of the data from the start of the pilot. So we launched this at the start of June with some of the information available. And we launched it to a thousand selected young workers who we found through advertising on Facebook and on Instagram. Yeah. And immediately we had all of that really useful information. If you're going for a group of young workers on Facebook or on Instagram, how do you find them? Yeah. And, and actually the thing that was really wonderful for us and a real, it was really reaffirming um, to find that our hypothesis was working. We thought young people would be interested in, in this career progression, career coach app called WorkSmart. We set it up and made it look in a certain way and we let it out into ads on Facebook and on Instagram. And it was absolutely fascinating to see how quickly people started clicking on it. They were sharing it with their friends. We're budgeted for a certain level of spend, but actually it came down because when something is popular and people in the demographic are clicking on it, Facebook knows that they can reduce the cost to you because it's not unpopular content in people's feeds. Yeah. 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 That so was really, that really reassuring. Yeah. Yeah. Where we are now is we launched the pilot in June and it's running through until March 2019. And at some point in the next couple of months, we're going to start testing the second phase which we've called Working Title. Um, <laughs> it's wor called Working Title? It's no, Working <laughs> Title. It's called Work Smart Extra. Okay. Um, and it is about, and it is, what we'd, what we'd like to do is offer full union membership mm -hmm. of one of the TUC's member unions to these young workers. At a price point, union membership is paid. We need to do some testing on what the right level of payment is, but nothing particularly out of line with the youth rates of big unions. And at that point, full union members... Um, still using the WorkSmart app, but they also become members of the particular union, and we put them in a digital branch 
Um, so they're in a specific welcome journey into that union rather than the traditional welcome journey that we quite often use into our unions, which can quite often involve basically your branch secretary sending you the minutes of the last meeting and, and you know, invitations to the next. And from that, we hope to start to be able to gather more intelligence about where these young workers work and start to spot patterns. Mm. Have we got people joining in this particular branch of this shop or this particular branch of this industry or this particular social care provider? Can we get more? Have we got any emerging leaders? Have we got places where we could start to build? Because the end goal of all of this is organising and at some point, probably years in the future, but at some point, recognition. Wow. Gosh. <laughs> I'm breathless. <laughs> well, that, I mean, thank you for, I mean, that's a, a, obviously a very important initiative and thank you for describing it in, in, in that level of de- detail. I can see, I mean, and what's impressive is, is it's been worked out. You know, that it, it's the what happens next question has already been posed, uh, posed and answered. Um, I mean, but general, I mean that, that's it, exciting enough in itself, but this week feels like it's been a good week for Congress. There's been good media, media coverage, and in previous years, that's not always been the case. I mean, what, have you cracked it now? What's, what's the secret of the success? Or has, has the tide just turned in terms of the zeitgeist? So uh, I don't think anyone who works in comms can ever say that we've definitively cracked it. I think it's hard work application and a good deal of luck. Um, to get your event and your uh, the issues that you want to talk about on the news agenda. What I would say to the trade union movement is we basically, we have a particular weekend a year where the country would like to hear what the trade union movement has to say about the state of the nation. And that weekend is the second weekend in September every year. And we have a duty because of all of the things we're campaigning on to make the most of that opportunity. Um, it was really interesting. When we rebranded the TUC, um, we asked the public... Uh, what they knew about the TUC. And the second highest attribute was, has an annual conference by the seaside every September. Really? Really, it, it was. wasn't biscuits. It wasn't, it wasn't biscuits. Um, it, but, not you know, beer, not sandwiches. No, 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 biscuits. And no, we have, so we have this wonderful opportunity, second week of September every year, so to really highlight, this is what we're talking about this year. This is what we're concerned about. Mm. This is what we think the government should do better or differently. And so this year, as you all have seen, we went on two particular issues. Uh, the first was on how we get a Brexit that protects jobs, rights at work and peace in Northern Ireland. And the second was about how, as the workplace changes with robots, automation, artificial intelligence, how do we make sure that we share the benefits of that with working people? Because there's basically two ways to share the benefits with working people, isn't it? Higher wages, shorter hours at work. And uh, So we came out yesterday in support of moving towards a four-day week at some point in the coming century as the workplace changes. A full agenda for the future. A full agenda for the future, indeed. I like it. It's aspirational. Uh, Antonia Vance, thank you very much. Thanks, Antonia. Simon, Becky, thank you so much for having me on. It's lovely to talk to you. (laughs) So, Becky, some interesting kind of crossovers, as you'd expect, between the stuff Paddy was saying about Usdor's approach to young members, the the interrelationship between the the WorkSmart uh, initiative that Antonia's just dis- described to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots going on. Lots going on, which is really good. And it kind of goes to show that when people kind of paint a doom and gloom, non-innovative picture about unions, I don't think that's necessarily the case. I mean, that's not to rest on our laurels and say, oh, we've cracked the code. Because I don't think there's anything, any one thing that is going to um, make the union movement 
completely different and, and kind of have that sense of urgency where we need to kind of go and to organise. thing I really am interested in and quite like, as I said when we were talking to Antonia, was the fact that they have sort of written things up but not from necessarily a policy kind of point of view but in a very kind of practical P- fashion. Action-orientated. Very action-orientated. And that it is a process of adaption and uh, responsiveness to kind of what the data and what people are kind of telling them, which I think is a really positive step. I think so. I mean, it ne- necessarily, it's it, you know, we have to wait and see for the, yeah. the, the fully-fledged version. And, and the point you make about data, Becky, uh, yes. of course, which is it's really important about how we use data, to the most yeah. effective way and that was you know the main theme of, of our well, fringe meeting that was in fact the title of our fringe meeting was more than digit more than just an app digital transformation for unions and i mean yeah, stand, yeah, standing room only listeners i tell you it was a really well attended meeting we had a great panel we had alison charlton from unison ali milani from the national union of students and jenny andrew from prospect and also from us as she is a uh, fellow in innovation and change she is in, she isn't hopefully you know it's a kind of loan looking to a transfer situation i think <laughs> i mean the, 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 her club are happy with her i don't think there's going to be any kind of chance we'll be able to <laughs> curses put in 25 million or something but here in in, in that order are alison ali and and jenny with snippets from their contribution to the fringe meeting so i thought i'd start this quote from the uh, principal research scientist at the MIT Sloan Initiative on the Digital Economy. Uh, When digital transformation is done right, it's like a caterpillar (coughs) turning into a butterfly. But when done wrong, all you have is a really fast caterpillar. (laughs) In other words, it's not the technology that needs to change, it's us. The key word in in digital transformation is not the digital bit, it's the transformation bit. And as work patterns are changing, unions also have to change. If we're going to organise and support workers of the future, we have to follow the patterns our members are working and use the technology they're using and that their employers are using. And it's the members' needs, not the technology, that should be driving change. On our campuses and in the workforce, historically, collectivism has needed the use of physical space. Uh, So you can root, uh, you know, the starts of mass movements in the canteens of the workforces, uh, in the lobbies of, uh, of workforces, in, in the bars on our campuses. Uh, and as those spaces start to disappear, uh, our movements need to uh, innovate, to reinvent ourselves and to revolutionise the way that we talk amongst ourselves, our members talk uh, to each other and how we organise. Uh, and the example that we constantly use at NUS is... Uh, the Netflix versus Blockbuster. Uh, Blockbuster was reliant on that physical space for you to go and pick up. I'm just about old enough to remember Blockbuster. Um, uh, I see many of you shaking your head down. Just about <laughs> but you're gonna have to deal with it. But Blockbuster required the physical space. Netflix enters um, enters the, the market uh, and digitizes it. Does it better? Does it quicker? And drives Blockbuster out of business. Rather than sitting back and viewing these things as something separate to us, I think we need to take the lessons from Netflix's and the Deliveroo's and the Uber's uh, in the principles of the new way the the (coughs) workforce and market works uh, and seriously adopt that in order to survive. But principally for me, what this is all about is talking to each other. Uh, it's, It's about creating a platform to replicate the canteen conversations in a space in which those kind of physical spaces no longer exist.
we now have opportunities to access platforms which allow people from Durham to connect to London, to connect to Cardiff, to connect to Edinburgh, uh, and bring us all into one space without needing to jump on a train or a coach. Often with digital products, and I, my learning point has been, people want to know exactly where you're going to end up. What is this thing going to look like? How is it going to change my interaction with members? How is it going to change uh, the way I, how am I going to use this platform? The answer to that question will always be, you won't know. Um, and so I have asked my team to leap off uh, the top of the building. Um, we're spending about in, in the millions of pounds on the product and we don't know where we're going to end up but we do need we we do know that we need to jump uh because i don't want to be blockbustered by a swedish hedge fund company called unidays so if you're if you're not already talking about digital disruption then frankly where have you been all of this technology is it, it it it's changing the way we get our information it's changing the way we socialize it, it it's pretty systemic um and as unions, we have, to, we have to keep this in mind in everything that we do because these are our customers. This is happening to our customers, um, our, our members. Darwin said that the species that survives is the one that's best able to, to adapt to the changing environment in which it finds itself. Aptitude for adaptation <coughs> is it's a matter of our survival. That's what it comes down to. And the message that I take from Darwin is that that there is no posterity without survival. So what's in scope for digital transformation? Basically, it's everything that we do. Data allows us to diagnose and forecast our changing environment. So we, we learn fast and we adapt fast. And we can build in processes that keep us learning and keep us adapting. Um, and in an environment of, of rapid and continuous change, that's what's gonna keep our heads above water. But not only did we have a fringe on data, we also took the opportunity while we were at Congress to talk about our collective bargaining work that we're doing, which is the new Commission on Collective Voice and our Works For Us, which you will be able to uh, see more of on Monday. That's a, 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 key, a key project about good work and about the, fu the future of, of work. Yeah. And in this, in our session, which was also standing room only. We had people turned away, didn't we? We did have people turned away fire for breaking fire regulations, yeah. which has never happened to us before. Um, we had Rachel Reeves, MP, talking about the everyday economy and the sorts of things that she's been thinking about in terms of um, how we talk about the economy, uh, the sort of things that are important to kind of adjust and the role of trade unions within that. We had Mike Clancy talking about collective bargaining in the private sector. John Skews from the RCM was talking about how social partnership and collective bargaining works in the, um, in the NHS. But also, Rachel's had a really interesting idea about the role of rural colleges in giving people voice at work, so he kind of touched on that. Uh, Amy Liversidge from the FDA talked a bit about, well, people, I think the, the discussion Amy and I had when, before uh, she came onto the fringe was, people think the public sector is a utopia of collective bargaining, and but, it's not. <laughs> and it, but it's not always. And so kind of what do unions do to kind of keep the line and also to be relevant? And then we had Patrick Roach, who's one of, he's from the NASUWT. 
Patrick is also one of our commissioners on the uh, collective voice work. Well, yeah, he, I mean, he, he, he spoke about... The need for the public sector unions to help the private sector unions and why it's important for public sector unions to kind of engage in the term around private sector bargaining and also the commission on collective voice. But also the need to think about members who are in the service sector thinking about the people who use the services and the the alliance that needs to be built between the service provider and the service user that's it because they'll yeah. often be in common, common agenda yes uh, and here are a few vocal snapshots as it were from that fringe meeting i think in the last 10 years there's been a real breakdown in in trust and also in confidence that the economy works for ordinary people that people feel that that's too much stuff is being done to them rather than them having um, um, a, a say in their future. And the reason I'm saying that, it, it, saying this, is that this issue about voice and autonomy uh, in the workplace, I think, is, is, is key to understanding what's going on in our economy and our society. The corporate governance across our economy, I, I just think, is, is woefully uh, lacking. It doesn't give sufficient voice for uh, ordinary people in the workplace. And I would like to see a, a third of a company's board made up by workers, but also the same on the remuneration committees. Too. So you can't have the chair of the remuneration committee of Persimmon coming along and telling us that ordinary workers aren't paid a living wage, but they can afford a £45 million bonus. I won't go back to my first job, which, which was uh, in a pasty factory in West Cornwall, sacked after four days. I didn't feel I had a lot of collective voice in that uh, relationship. In the NHS, and my perspective is very much, I think, a public sector one, uh, it is a bastion, actually, I think, of collective voice, but it hasn't always been like that. In um, the civil service, we've part we have uh, department-level negotiations without a lot of negotiations going on. In the Home Office, we've actually written to the Home Secretary to see if he'll come and meet with Dave Pemmin, our General Secretary, to discuss pay. And he, the Minister replied that he didn't see the benefit in discussing um, the pay of the civil servants. So it's a really sad state of affairs where you've got a Minister that is willing to go on to Andrew Marr and talk about the work of his department, but not talk about the unions that represent those staff and value the work that they do. So in the order in which they spoke, that was, uh, that was Rachel Reeves, John Skews and Amy Levisage. So. Simon, we go home, away from Manchester. Away from Manchester. Away from Manchester. Thank you very much for being very lovely hosts, Manchester. It yes, was lovely. Yes, indeed, indeed. And thank you very much, listeners, for your company during this podcast. The first of our second year of podcasting, the first of series three. Oh, that was my popper. And as ever, we would love your views on what you've heard, whether you like it, whether you don't like it, whether you've got a contribution to the debate or the debates that are covered in, in this. Yeah. So if you've got any ideas of what we could cover, if your union or branch or organisation doing something you think we should know about, contact us on info at unions21.org.uk. If you could rate us and share us on your podcast provider, that would be fantastic. We're going to crack those algorithms at some point, I am sure. <laughs> we'll be back in a couple of weeks when we're actually going to be taking a look at what trade unions in Australia can teach us. I flew to Australia. No, you I didn't. didn't. I didn't fly to Australia. Nobody would let me <laughs> fly to Australia. <laughs> so that podcast, that, that, that's next up. Uh, in the meantime, uh, have a good passage of time at your workplace, uh, organising, recruiting, servicing members, thinking about trade unions and being active. 
<laughs> I always when I want to go, and it's goodbye from me. <laughs> and it's goodbye from her. <laughs> See you next time. Bye. Union's 21 podcast was presented by Becky Wright and Simon Sapper. Production assistant was Henry Skews. It was a Makes You Think production.